Sit over here or something. Oh, you can't. See everybody. Move this way now. Come on, do something. Use your brain. So this was a nice song by Narutam Thakur. It's a rather uh, deep song, and the title of the song makes that clear. It's entitled Lola Somai. So Lola Somai means to be filled with greed. And Narutam is singing not to get rid of the greed, but to increase his greed, it's a very interesting concept because obviously the general idea is that uh, spiritual life would be devoid of greed or that we would want to diminish it, overcome it. It's very unbecoming. Hmm? But uh, this speaks then of the nature of... um, of Krishna Bhakti as uh, taught by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that while many uh, beautiful and profound important uh, contributions to the uh, spiritual community over centuries that have spawned uh, different paths uh, out, out of the web of material existence into transcendence, many of them um, are focused primarily on on freeing us from the web, therefore they're referred to in terms of their ideal as salvation, mukti, moksha. They have a kind of a positive, negative connotation. Um, that means that 
uh, that, for example, zero has a positive connotation in relation to negative numbers. So in the world of taking and greed, then when we take, then we owe. So we're in negative numbers. So to come out from the negative numbers, to come to zero is a kind of a fullness in comparison. So many profound and beautiful paths, as I said, they focus on, on this. And, and they, they think, and, and perhaps wisely so, that the culmination of spiritual life will be to uh, overcome greed, overcome lust, overcome hate, anger, overcome the, the taking that our identification with matter kind of imposes on us, so to speak. We've identified with matter in a particular com- com- uh, uh, shape, and it's needy. Mm. So we need to eat, so we need to kill to, to live, so to speak. We have to take to live. But spiritual life is about killing the killer in us, so to speak, the taker in us, the exploiter in us, which is arising from our identification, misidentification with matter, and then a sense of, of need that, that arises, a false sense of need. Uh, so, to then bring about an end to that whole taking identity, if you will, it's a huge task. Hmm? to slay the, the, the material ego. It's a huge task. And, to, and by any particular spiritual methodology, to collapse that, you can imagine how profound that is. It's a big, ah, a big rest you know, from the, from the, the uh, oppression of the mind's demands, the op- oppression of the senses that material life... Uh, constitutes and has us running even in different directions at the same time after the call of the ear after the call of the tongue after the call of the genitals in different directions the stomach wants to eat and it's full and the tongue wants to take more and so forth so and the mind's demands are 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 overwhelming Hmm? so to come out from underneath all of that is the idea ah it's the big uh, relief first letter of the sanskrit alphabet ah is said, <laughs> said in some way to represent that uh, ah, like Om. It's similar. It's the first letter of the of the of the Pranava Omkar also. Mm-hmm. So that being the case, then where would what gives rise to thinking of anything beyond that? Mm-hmm. It, it, you can just imagine this has been going on forever, forever, from a time without beginning. Granted passing through different lives and different forms and so forth, but the basic problem, the basic predicament has uh, been with us forever, as long as we've existed and we've existed forever. It's hard to you know, put that between the ears, but hmm, there are things, fortunately, that, that uh, transcend reason. <clears throat> so, as I say, to come out of that is, who would think of anything more? So the dissolving of the ego and the and the conventional sense of self. I'm American, I'm a woman, I'm I'm dysfunctional, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm together or whatever it may be. Uh, we are all of those things and none of them at the same time. The joys and the sorrows of it all, you know, realizing I've got issues and then dealing with them and thinking I've solved them and so forth and the relief from that, this is all 
just basically the seesaw, the ups and downs of the roller coaster of material life. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. So to go beyond the good and bad, to go beyond these kind of dualities, which after all are more or less a, a, per, a perception of our own minds and senses. What's good for you may be bad for me. What's hot for you may be cold for me. So which is it? So anyway, to come out of all this, this is a huge uh, relief. And to dismantle this conventional sense of self, this, this material ego, um, leads one, understandably, to believe that having no self is, is, is better. Hmm? So there's a kind of a sense of no self, hmm? and it's restful. It's kind of like a, um, well, it's kind of like a contentless experience. If you could imagine something like that, comparison has been given in Vedanta to a deep sleep. So you have sleep, you have waking state. We know what that's like. You can get so troublesome, you just want to go to sleep. And then you dream of how it could be better. Hmm? <laughs> how, many, how many possibilities that, that lie there in the dream world compared to the physical world? Physical world, we can see gold and we can see a mountain, mostly a mountain of debt hmm? these days. But... In dream life, we can dream that we got a golden mountain. <laughs> we live on top of it. So, But uh, uh, beyond sleep and dreaming, in which our psychic dimension of our material existence is active, while all, for all intents and purposes our physical dimension is shut down, hmm? beyond the physical dimension is the psychic dimension. Beyond the psychic dimension is is something like when we have a deep, sleep with no dream. Hmm? What do they call it? Like maybe REM sleep or something? Or, is that what it is? There was a band name after that sleep, I think. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> deep sleep. So you don't, you don't, uh, you don't dream. You're not, your waking state is closed down. For all intents and purposes, kind of on a microcosmic uh, sense, uh, spectrum, the physical world is closed down, physical dimension of consciousness, the psychic dimension is closed down. Hmm? But have you disappeared as a result of the closing down of the physical dimension and the psychic dimension? No, because when we wake up from a deep sleep, we feel, oh, I rested well. So we re can't remember something that we didn't experience, is the idea. So we experienced the closing down of the psychic and physical dimension and it was, ah, <laughs> it was restful because even those good dreams where you had a golden mountain can all of a sudden turn into a nightmare, right? So uh, as much as we can, point, point being here, as much as we can masturbate the mind, if you will, uh, to, to make things better, hmm, it, uh, it, it, it doesn't solve the problem. We will not solve the problem of life by thinking, but by learning to stop thinking. Hmm? This is what meditation is about. And this is restful, peaceful. Hmm? And so when we go to sleep at night, in deep sleep, when we wake up, we remember something. It was kind of like a content-less experience. You can't describe it other than, ah, I slept well. It was, it was a relief. So what, 
it's such a big thing then, if you understand me on a larger level, through actual spiritual disciplines to accomplish what we kind of accomplish in deep sleep. I'm giving this because this idea because it's an example from our experience that leads us to to believe based on experience that there is existence that I exist independent of the physical and psychic dimension. In other words, Vedanta is not just positing a belief here. Oh, you know, make up some idea that there's a soul, an atma. Why should we do that? Have you seen a soul? Have you experienced a soul? Hmm? Well, we would say the atma is experience. (laughs) That is what it is. It's the experiencing capacity. And it hasn't been found in the brain yet, and it won't be. Hmm. But, and it's the, it's the, it's the, it's what, it's, it's what drives um, philosophy of mind. If they could solve it, the school would close down. Hmm? They won't solve it, so it'll always be around, trying to think about it and figure it out. What is consciousness, in other words? Well, in yoga, and in Vedanta, we have an answer to that, and it's based on deep experience of the subjective dimension of reality. We have the objective dimension of the physical and the psychic world. Hmm? We include the psychic world in, in the objective. It's more subtle in the physical, and it's a mediator for consciousness and, and gross matter in the waking state. Mind is different than the, sixth, than the five senses, although it's called the sixth sense sometimes, but it's different because it, it's different. right? It tends to take the shape of a thing. It's more subtle, malleable, and so forth. So it takes the shape in our lives of a, of a communicator between consciousness, which is ourself, and gross matter. Hmm? But hmm, we are independent of that also. We are the purely subjective dimension of existence, which is the dri- really the driving force. At least we feel like that. We act like that every day. We act like because I have volition hmm, and I think something, therefore I do something. I think, let's go to the temple. Let's visit Swami, you know. And so then my body goes there. It feels like there is downward causation, that consciousness, if you will, is up here, kind of feels like that. And it causes movement on the lower level and so on. Now people, some people argue against this because they find it problematic because if it's true, then materialism isn't true. <laughs> Physicalism isn't true. Hmm? And a lot of people don't want to want to uh, believe in anything other than materialism because believing in religion has caused them all kinds of problems. Because hmm? they were told, you can't do this, you can't do that, and they got a whole bunch of old rules from thousands of years ago that didn't apply in today's world and they ended up psychologically dysfunctional with all kinds of guilt and and problems. And so that's one of the reasons people want to reason against religion. Of course, there are other reasons, too. There are other reasons. The other reasons are, for example, that we've been able to understand the objective world, we conscious beings, understand something about the objective world by examining it, experimenting with it, experimenting with it. We have found uh, f- the basic forces of of, of, of physical forces, electromagnetic energy, gravity, so on. Right? There's four or so of them, 
and we put them together in a certain way. We work with them, and we see things happen like this. And so we we think we are finding out about the world. We're we're getting to, we're doing away with certain superstitions about how the world works. It's not flat. It's maybe it's round. <laughs> uh, we're not moving around the. Everything's not moving around the Earth. Everything's moving around the Sun. We think there was a Big Bang or whatever, and 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 then when you take these, uh, if you will. Uh, neutral findings and then you put them in the hands of people who are driven by the illusion that material acquisition, the prospect of material acquisition will fulfill me in life, which is how most of us function. By getting things, my life will improve. By adding things on. Driven by that, which is the basic orientation that all beings have hmm, in this world, then we take the, we tend to take the neutral facts that we find from a scientific objective discipline and use them for that purpose. And so we bet we, we so-called better the world. In some some respects we do, hmm? but we don't end the problem. We may think we might end the problem of death and disease and so forth and so on, but in one sense we we uh, continue to run after the carrot, if you will, that by acquisition hmm, and by plumbing the depths of the objective world of matter, hmm, we will become fulfilled. Hmm. It's like a constant appetizer, which is good for a while, but ends up in indigestion if the full meal never comes. Hmm. So we have this powerful... Um, instrument, if you will, of science, and then you put it in the hands of technology to improve our lives, but what we think our lives are, or is, is material. Of course, did science didn't start like that. They thought we were spiritual, but then they found things about the world that made them think there's, there's no room for God. The world works like this in a certain system. It's closed, and there's no room for anything to come in from outside, and, and so on. So science was born, as I like to say, as a Christian, modern science. Then gradually it became, in its youth, an agnostic now when it's an adulthood, it's become an atheist. In its old age, if it's to live that long, you become a mystic. Hmm? It's starting to get old. It's starting. It's getting old. <laughs> and it, and it, it's a good thing, but it's a relative thing, hmm? and it can fulfill us entirely. Hmm? And when it, in its atheistic phase, when it seeks to deny the subjective aspect of life, consciousness, and say it's not causal, hmm? and that there's no real self in there. The lights are on, but there's nobody home. It's just some some function of the brain in there, and we're going to find it and press that button, and then we'll show you, and so forth. They're nowhere near finding this, and uh, and they won't. And why should they? And why should they think that it's that consciousness is matter when it's in, when it functions entirely differently from matter? Matter is experienced; consciousness experiences. So where is the soul? Someone may say, Swami, can you tell us where it is? Can you measure it? We say, can you measure happiness? Can you measure, can you measure red? Can you measure blue? Can you measure pretty? Hmm? These are all experiences of a conscious being hmm? that don't lend themselves, and that's the hard problem, if you will, in consciousness, of, uh, in, in, in philosophy of mind and neuroscience. We may say, yeah, if you press this button, you'll get a sensation, but why do you get a sensation? <laughs> And 
what and, and it's one thing to say you press this ner- whatever nerve ending here and you get a sensation here pain but the experience of ouch hmm, uh, well, why does that happen and who's 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 in there <laughs> they want to think there's nobody really in there it's just an illusion we say it's the other way around <laughs> your material persona that is an illusion hmm? and we have a method for finding that out so this is what yoga is about we have a science of that. We, 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 we offer you a subjective, objective, objectivity, we call it, kind of. A, you, can, you can objectively pursue the subjective reality. Hmm? That's what yoga is about. To try to isolate. Theory is, as I said, consciousness is separate from matter, hmm? independent of matter. And so the experiment is. Well, let's separate matter from consciousness, or you know, consciousness from matter. How do we do that? Hmm? Well, the theory is that consciousness identifies with matter through the senses and touches and smells and taste objects of the senses and identifies with them and gets lost to itself and thinks, like in a virtual computer reality, something's happening to me. I'm dying. I'm getting old. I'm happy. And so on and so forth. So back off from the computer life, just like you put a person in front of the television, and the television, the viewer turns on the TV, but then he might turn into like you know, a zombie or a couch potato or something. You got to go wake him up and say, "You got a life, you know. Come on, get away from that screen." So we, as consciousness, kind of turn on matter, and it moves in a fascinating way, and we are hypnotized by its movements. Someone has to come and grab us by the shoulder and say, there's more to life than what you've turned on by your influence. It's you, and it's you. Focus on yourself and so forth. And so we start to move back from the world. We live in the forest, for example. (laughs) And we we, we don't just do something, we sit there, right? (laughs) And And we go inward, and we, we, we determine that just just contacting any number of sense objects, the more the merrier with our senses, is is not going to satisfy us. That we move away from that. We focus this so this is an attempt to separate consciousness from matter. And think about it, because people will come and say, You don't have a television? Some people say, You don't eat meat? Like we were vegetarian. What do you eat? What do you do at night? You know, you don't do this. You know, a lot of things we don't do. We're not interested in them. There are more important things in life than things. Things aren't the most important things. So, uh, you know, uh, and then, well, we're obviously not, these the monks here, not into the latest fashions. <laughs> but it's comfortable. <laughs> so, you know, it's almost like, God, I can't imagine what, you know, living like that. There's, there's, so we are factually engaged in separating consciousness from matter. And it can go deeper and deeper and deeper. Hmm? And so, you know, you can find the yoga in, in a cave for 30 years. Hmm? And he's fine. <laughs> he's happier than, the, you know, the, those television machines where they turn on the laughter for every every joke uh, and so forth, <laughs> he's, he's happy. And it's a profound happiness, it's an enduring happiness. So, of course, 
I say, separate consciousness from matter, you know, to a point. We are in touch with matter by karma, by the force of karma. So we may, we may terminate the karma by, by spiritual practice. Spiritual practices can, can, can um, uh, well, like you say, they can, they can, um, you don't have to live out all the karma. You, there are practices that, see the karma is based on ignorance, avidya, ignorance. So if you, if you cultivate actual knowledge, which the root of the, of the, of, of the ignorance is the root of the problem, by direct means, and I mean spiritual knowledge, I don't mean thinking book knowledge. We may have books that we read to teach us how to do that. Hmm? By doing that, then we go to the root of the problem, and as, as, as vidya, knowledge starts to surface, then the karmic results of avidya start to be burned up. Hmm? This is the power of spiritual practice. So, but until they are entirely, then obviously we have some connection with the whole affair. So we're separating ourselves from matter to a point, and then we may separate entirely, but there's still some parabdha, we call it, parabdha karma. Hmm? Something that came from the avidya, like long time ago, but it's, it's, it's bearing fruit now and it's still going on. It's something like this. Let's say Hari Bhakti gets a cold. So I say, well, I don't want to get a cold. I'm going to stay away from Hari Bhakti for right now. Hmm? So I take preventative measures, right? And maybe I get just a little sniffle, so I take some vitamin C or something or eat an orange or, or whatever or they have homeopathic, you know, take it now before it gets too bad, medicines, and so on. So, the cold just kind of almost was about to start, but I checked it. But Hari Bhakti's just got to go six days or half a dozen, whatever it is, and it's already there. There's no cure, they, they say, for the common cold right now, anyway. So, point being, just an analogy, but the point being is that once the Prabhda has started to manifest the karma. There's karma that's not manifest yet. It's still waiting. <laughs> You've got lives of it to go. <laughs> it's still waiting. You can destroy that hmm? without having to experience it in the future is the point. Hmm? So you may not feel that you're making spiritual progress sometimes, but those who can see, they say, what do you mean? <laughs> you had so many lives that you would have had to play out. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're just dealing with all of that. Hmm? It's something like this. Let's say you want to build a house. So you commission me, Swami. I say, right, I'll build you a house of bhakti, a bhakti house, a house of devotion. So he says, all right, well, here's the money and uh, go to work. So after a few weeks, you come and you want to see how, how big the house, how tall the house is. Hmm? And you come and all you see is a hole in the ground. You say, Swami, I paid you money to build a house and you dug a hole in the ground. What? You know, how you cheated me. I'm, we're not getting anywhere here. So then you have to explain, well, you see, to go up, you have to go down first. Hmm? It may not look like an exhabbing, but I assure you, if I didn't dig this hole, nothing would happen. Hmm? Ours would not go up. Hmm? So there's some invisible work, hmm? this idea. This is, this is like, karmic life is something like, what, it's something like we maxed out on our credit cards. So well, we, we just work to pay the credit card debts. We don't have any fun money left over. Hmm? So then you go to the court and you declare bankruptcy, and they appoint an attorney or something like that, 
and he or she negotiates with the creditors and you get protected, something like that. So bills that you would have had to pay, we can negotiate them down. This is the idea of the guru. Hmm? Negotiates the karmic debt in such a way that it, it's edited, it's diminished, it's still something there and it has to be played out and in such a way that we learn from it also. Hmm? So this parabda anyway, as I say, it's already going on. So I may separate myself from matter, but the parabda is already, it's like the fan. You pulled out the plug, but anyway, it's still going to go around for a little while. Hmm? You separated the power, but it had a power and a force that it's keeping it going. It's getting slower and slower and slower. So. And when it stops, then life is over. Hmm? Because this whole life is karma. So the whole material life, when it ends, it's over. So that is the passing then of the sadhu, hmm? saintly person. And so we can't separate it entirely in our experiment to say, just see, kill the body and this conscious guy is going to still dance around in some way. I mean, he will, but, but not before your eyes. Hmm? Something like that. But to a large extent we can. Enough that it should be uh, believable, if you will. We can see that Gyogen is experiencing something He's living with a more, with a sense of more. Hmm? He posits certain metaphysical truths from his experience. And we may say, well, we don't know if we believe in those metaphysical truths, but he's the one who's experiencing it. <laughs> so we may say, well, you know, he's positing, he's in the cave, we put the things on his head, you know, and he doesn't even really know what's happening. When he's meditating, this dopamine is coming, and, you know, and. It really, sir, you don't really know what's happening. You should go there. Hmm? Hmm? You, you know, the idea that everything will have to be, to be verifiable, will have to be demonstrated objectively, is not how we live our lives. We cannot demonstrate objectively that we, as we think of ourselves, actually exist. It's an entire subjective reality. You can't prove it to anybody. Do we wait to do that, to get up in the morning and go about our lives? No. Based on our subjective experience that we exist, the whole, life, whole world's going on. So why should we dismiss subjective experiences if it's, oh, well, that's your belief. I believe that I exist. And so do you. And, that's, and, and to, for you to say, if some people might, hmm, that consciousness is not primary, well, that requires consciousness to even think like that. To dismiss consciousness as being primal and, and foundational and causal requires consciousness. This is a very unreasonable proposal. Hmm? Just see how facts, neutral facts, gathered, for example, from science, hmm, handed to someone who's bent for, out of ignorance hmm, on improving their lives by more things, if you will, improving the things, hmm, how foolish we can become. Hmm? So, anyway, point is, relative to the song here, is that when we reach this pure identification with our self, the Atma, rather than with matter, well, it's a big ah, right? It's a big relief. It's a big, it's peaceful. Shanti, shanti, shanti. And it's so powerful that most people on various spiritual paths that arrive there it's enough. Can't think beyond that. Thinking is stopped anyway. Hmm? But 
As I said before, this zero is a positive position in relation to the karmic implications of negative numbers. But while many spiritual traditions have not thought beyond zero, some have. Hmm? This song is from a tradition that comes from positive numbers. Wow, that's interesting. Here's an idea. If you're happy, why move? If you're fulfilled, you have no desire, then you have no ambition to fulfill. So we could reason that if you don't have any greed, you don't want anything, then sit still forever. Therefore, spiritual life is, a, is an eternal quietude. Hmm? But some teachers, like Sri Chaitanya, he, he reasoned, the Gita reasons, actually, Bhagavad Gita, that, wait a minute, there's another way to think about this. There's, a, there's also a kind of fullness. A, a fullness is kind of static, in a sense, in relation to the movement of material life, running here, there, and everywhere, like a chicken, you know, without its poor head, just running around. Hmm? So, it's static. It's, it's a kind of a positive static. It's peaceful. It's restful. It's, it's I've got my feet on the ground, and it's not going to be pulled out from underneath me. Hmm? I'm standing on the ground of being. I'm being. I be. I exist. And in an enduring sense. Oh. Hmm? Right? But the Gita teaches, Sri Chaitanya teaches, that there is a kind of movement also in our everyday experience that arises not out of need of anything, but out of fullness. Sometimes you're so full... You're so fulfilled, even just materially speaking, that you start to celebrate. You dance. Hmm? Right? You just, you're not moving out of a need to get anything, but you know, maybe you got enough things, and now you're thinking, everything's great, so let's have a party. Hmm? And something like that. So, spiritually speaking, hmm, there's the possibility that you could be so filled that you began to move in a different way. That is not the movement of karma that's based on moving because you've taken and now you owe. Hmm? I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, something like that. You've, it's driven by a necessity. You've got to work, buddy. <laughs> you got to go. No, there's another movement. And what is that movement that's not work? That's play, right? Hmm? So, in the context of spiritual life, this is what Leela is. Leela means play. Hmm? So, Krishna is involved in Leela. Krishna is Brahman, that consciousness that we are of the nature of. In a sat, existing, chit, cognizant, and anandam. Hmm? And concentrated. Concentrated sat, chit, ananda, that causes sat, chit, ananda to take a shape and and dance, something like that. This is a very esoteric idea. And Narottam, in this song, he says, Lolo Somai, I have a greed, I'm filled with a greed for that, to enter the, the, the Leela. Hmm? It's a spiritual kind of greed. Hmm? It comes at a certain pitch in the context of the discipline that Narottam Thakur is in. This is a bhakti tradition. 
This tradition is not merely about ah. Hmm? It's about Hare Krishna. Hmm? It's a little different. It's got the awe is also there, but something more to that as well. Hmm? Therefore, the dancing. We, are, we sit, but we also dance, and something like that. So it's it's uh, he is he is in a stage, in the first stage of the chanting, and we chant, you know, as we do here with instruments and dancing, and also in meditation, japa, hmm, and so forth for long periods, and it's a whole lifestyle. But at any rate. It, it, at a certain point in this, this the, the, there's inner life. It really starts to awaken and then it starts to be cultivated, honed. We call, there's, there's bhakti in practice and there's bhakti in ecstasy. So when we come to the stage of bhakti in ecstasy, then we are honing this uh, and a, a different identity is forming. There's now an attachment to the leela hmm? in a particular way and an identity is coming from that attachment just like our material identity is based on our attachments to things and where we live I'm Californian I'm a mother because I have a daughter or I'm a son because I have a father and a mother and I'm attached to them and so so a spiritual kind of attachment it's a very unique idea and a spiritual kind of longing a spiritual kind of greed he says he says Sri Chaitanya, he lived in a small room called the Gambira. It was about eight by ten or something like that. Stone room with no windows. Hmm? Small place, but such a big idea came out of there. Gambira means deep. He lived in the deep place. Hmm? Through this kirtan, he would chant and fall in ecstasy. He would roll on the ground. His hairs would would bristle and stand on end at the just the sound, the syllable Krishna. His voice would become choked hmm? in ecstasy. He would tremble. His limbs would become stunned. Hmm? And is it all sattvikabhav, sattvikabhav, ecstasies. Hmm? And they would happen, if you practice sometime, you can start to experience in due course some little bhava, some tears. It's not crying like from material emotions. Well, you're crying because you're experiencing it's coming to an end, the whole thing. Oh, material existence, I'm going there, actually. This is ending, and there's, there's something positive on the other side, even beyond zero. And I'm experiencing that, and tears will come. And then you can get some horripilation, hair standing on end. Maybe independently, maybe at the same time, then you can experience some trembling. Hmm? Like this. Hmm? And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was chanting and he experienced the trembling and the tears and the hair standing on there and the voice choking hmm? and the stunned, limbs becoming stunned and falling on the ground and rolling there and all of these symptoms multiplied a million fold. Hmm? And symptoms that in Rupa Goswami's book about Ananda, the nature of bliss, he said, I won't even talk about them here, they're so rare. Hmm? He said, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu experienced those. Millionfold, this is the, this is, this is Radhabhava, hmm? Mahabhav. Hmm? Narottam is talking about these, he says, Gauranga Bhutete Habe Pulaka Sharir Hari Hari Bhulite Nayane Bhabhani. When will all those things come in me? Hmm? When will I become so deep in my practice 
like Chaitanya in the Gambira, hmm? that I can live in a little stone room like that. As soon as we get here, we wonder, where am I going to stay? Where will my accommodations be? What, will it be comfortable? Where is the bathroom? <laughs> you know, understandably, it's fair, fair enough. He said, I don't know, when will I never have to think about that again? Hmm? Hmm? When will I enter the deep, deep spiritual practice and all these things, symptoms will come in me and by them I'll know. Hmm? These are the road signs then. I'm going in the right direction and I'm going fast. I'm getting close. Something like that. He says, Gauranga bulite hobe pula kashari hori hori bulite nayane bhavene arko beni tai chander karuna hoi be sangsara vasana mor kabe tuccha hobe. He says, I know that in order to go there all material attachment has to end. I won't kid myself hmm? and pretend to roll on the ground and cry and make a false display of ecstasy and so forth to make my think I'm more progressive than I am. No, I know. Sangsara vasana. All this these vasana, these desires that make sangsara make make the world go round. Hmm? Birth and death, birth and death, birth and death. I have to pull the plug on that. Hmm? So he prays to Nitananda, Gaur's Chaitanya's other self, so to speak, the Ram of uh, you know we have Krishna, we have Ram. He's the Ram of of Krishna's appearance in the world as Chaitanya. And he said, "Oh, I know by your grace, then hmm, this will be possible." Here we have the deity of Gaur and Nitananda. You see, Gaur has two arms out like this. You can see him on our left. He has two arms out. He's holding a flower in each one. Two arms out means he's coming after us to embrace us and take away all material desires. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has one hand, he's gone. Gone to the other side in Mahabhav. Other hand is there. He's holding it in on his hand, <laughs> so to speak, with the other hand. And so they t- he's there taking us, his idea, something like this. Hmm? So he mentions them in this prayer, and, and, and then he says, and they live as Krishna and Balaram. In this incarnation, they've come as devotees of themselves to teach the way. Hmm? By following them, I can go there, to that idyllic land of positive numbers, 108. Hmm? Uh, uh, and uh, uh, there, there, what is the nature of that place? He says, what is it? Vishaya chadil kabe shudahabe man. Kabe habe herabha sri brindavana. It's called brindavan, hmm? that, that place. And... The, it said, oh, it's a nice place. There are trees there. They're like magical trees. They're called kalpabriksha. means wish-fulfilling trees. From the tree you can get anything you wish. There are cows. They're called kamdenu. From their udders you can milk out anything. You think, that's a great place to go. I could get whatever I want. Hmm? But then what he's saying here is, I want to go there because the people there don't want anything. They've got cows who can milk out anything and they don't want anything. What have they got? Hmm? They have love of Krishna. Hmm? It means the whole world will bow down to you and offer itself to you. Hmm? And you have no interest. Hmm? So he said, I want to go there. And he said, and the principal followers of Gaur Nityananda, Rup and Raghunath, these Gosamis of Vrindavan, who took the ecstasy of Chaitanya, 
that I was talking about. There was like a great waterfall, like, you know, you just got to stand back and go, wow. But they took it and turned it into a lake of their writing. They explained it. They located it within the sacred texts. What he's experiencing here, this is spoken about there. And this part is spoken about there. And we put it together. This is what he is. This is what he represents. This is what he embodies. And so through the lake, you can approach the waterfall. You can drink from that. You can put your toe in and it feels good. And you can wade in. You can swim and you can drown there. Hmm? This is the idea. So he mentions them, Rup and Raghunath. They have shown the way in their writing. And he says, Narottam says, I want to go exactly where they're writing about. Hmm? Just to that place. Hmm. He says, I want to go there in the service of Radhika, Radha. Hmm? I want to be a servant, handmaiden of Radha, because I know Krishna is completely conquered by her. Hmm? Brahman, Krishna, is dancing under her influence. She is the Shakti. Hmm? And that Shakti is making the Shaktiman dance and lose himself in ecstasy. So, because she's so attracted to him, or his all attentions is on her. If I put my attention on her, naturally his attention will come to me. That will be good for me. <laughs> Something like that. So this is uh, a deep song called Lola Somai. Next. Bajahure Mana. Srinanda Nandana Avaya Chanara Pajahure Mana Srinanda Nandana Avaya Chanara Jana, 
Worshipper of Durga in Bengal, we have these two uh, strong influences of the Bhakti school and the Shakti school. Uh, and the Shakti school is 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 one that's um, worshiping the goddess, but largely for in a sophisticated way, but largely for the sake of material uh, improvement. Hmm? And maybe in the farthest reach, culminating in that awe I was talking about. And the bhakti um, school is what we had talked about in, in, in the previous song, with the positive numbers and so forth. So he was anyway born in the family and a worshiper of, of Devi, and uh, and so he was, is she someone that you come before and what what do you want, you know, and you, and you make your prayer. So he, as it turned out, hmm, what he wanted, she said, that I don't have, but I can tell you where to go to get that. Hmm? So she could understand his heart. Hmm? And so she directed him to Gobinda, and he got the name Gobinda Das, servant of Gobinda. She said, what you want, you should go to Gobinda. That's another name for Krishna, the cowherder. You should go there. Hmm? She could feel his heart. There are a few instances like this we find in the sacred text of Goddess Durga saying, people come to me for all kinds of things, but what you want, that's never, I like that actually. But you go over here, you get that from Govinda, from Krishna. And so then this song came out of that. Hmm? She said, 
you should fix your mind on Nandanandan. Nandanandan is a nice name. Nandanandan. Nand is the verbal root. Nand, Sanskrit root, means bliss. So Nandanandana, it's, it's pretty blissful. It, it means, Nandanandana means Krishna is the son of Nanda, as you might expect. Hmm? Right? So he, this, his father is, is bliss, he's the son of bliss, and so he is the bliss of, it's like a son is the bliss of his father, right? Usually, or to some extent anyway. I didn't quite fit in that, but... <laughs> but well, anyway, so... Black sheep, but... Nandanand, so the bliss of the bliss, uh, you know. So he, she said, you should worship Nandanand. His name, other name is Govinda. Your name is Govinda Rasa. He says, Bajahure Manasri Nandanandana. Hmm? Uh, oh, my dear uh, mind, Bajahure Mana, Mana means mind, please worship the son of Nanda. Hmm? Because at, who, at, at whose feet? Abhai Charan. Charan, Aravind. Charan means feet. Aravinda means lotus. So at whose lotus feet one becomes fearless. And Durga was very, has a very fearsome form. Have you ever seen the picture? She's riding on a tiger. She's got a trident and so forth. So. She pokes people with that sometimes, too, right? She has, sometimes it's said in Bhagavad, the thankless task of keeping people in material existence who don't, you know, want to go, who are inimical to going, obstinate for staying here. Okay, she pokes them. And and that poking is supposed to be like a negative impetus to get out. She's ashamed of her task, but she has to do that, something like that. Hmm? Durga, it means, ga means to, Gamayati, to go from. Dura means difficult. Difficult to go from. Hmm? Difficult place to go from. But Durga is also Shakti Tattva. So the fountainhead of all avatars is Krishna. The fountainhead of all Shakti is Radha. So Durga is a form of Radha for a particular purpose. And she also has the name Durga, which means difficult to go to. Hmm? <laughs> so this one Durga's domain is difficult to go from, and even though you should go from it, get a passport to get out, that doesn't mean you have a visa hmm, to go to Radha hmm, and Krishna. But if you get a good recommendation from Durga, maybe. Hmm, so she gave a good recommendation. You worship Nandanandan. So he says, Bajahure Manasi Nandanandana. Abhai Charanada Bindure. Satsange. He said, human life is very uh, rarely achieved. There are so many forms of life, and humans are the smallest uh, by comparison. We could count the number of insects, uh, what you call germ life, on the end of our finger. It would be more than you know, all, of us in this, all of us in the country, all of the humans in the world, possibly. Hmm? Probably. So there are many forms of life, such is the nature of karma and has consequences for, for everything we do. So human life is rare and it's it's a rare opportunity. It's like the jails are full of people, but a few people get put on parole early, right? And they get a leash and if they can conduct themselves with their newfound freedoms within certain parameters, then they can actually be in the free world. 
And so human life is like parole, something like consciousness is coming to the surface and it can think about itself. That's incredible. Those germs aren't thinking about themselves. They're there. Consciousness is the life, so it animates the different forms and shapes. But to be conscious of oneself, it's like nature realized it had a soul. It's us. So what to do with that? Should we just live like animals or insects? When we have this unique opportunity, he's saying, no, no, this is very rare human life. So we should do something that's, that's not done in other forms of life. Hmm? That is spiritual practice. Hmm? This is our opportunity. And that is how you hone and cultivate that consciousness, which is the more, if you will, that we feel in human life life must have to offer. We feel like there's more in the English saying than what meets the eye. There's more than what meets the eye here, Sherlock, something like that. Hmm? There's a mystery, there's a meaning, there's a deeper meaning, and it's us. It's consciousness. Hmm? As I said, and it's independent of matter, and so to hone that. And so he says, I've got this, human life, very rare, sat and satsange. Two things. I've got satsanga. Satsanga means association, sangha, the company of saintly people who engage in these kind of practices. Hmm? He said, with these two things, human life and satsanga, taraha e bhavasindhu. The bhavasindhu, the ocean of material existence, tara, taraha. It can be crossed very easily. And then he says a few things about the nature of material existence. The happiness there, he says, Oh, chapala sukala balagire. It's like a, flo- like, a lo- like a drop of water on the glossy leaf of the lotus. It's there, and then it rolls off. Hmm? And however I may surround myself with uh, things to fortify my life and protect it and maintain it and so forth. It's all, they fail me. Hmm? I've suffered so many things huh? in material life. He, he's saying, it's coming to an end. Then he says, Sravanukirtanam smaranamandanam padasevanam achanamandanam dasim sakyam atmanivedim. He mentions nine expressions of bhakti. Hearing, like we're doing. Chanting, like I'm doing. Hmm? hearing, chanting, meditating, and so forth, this kind of ritualistic worship, archan, he meant nine of these things, articulated by Prahlad in the, in the Bhagavad. So he mentions them, he says, these, I am attached to these things, these are fostered, that is coming from sadhu-sangha, sadhu-sangha, satam-prasangha, mamavirya-sambhido, bhavanti hritkayana, Step by step I will go. Satsanga. By satsanga. I came into satsanga. Satsanga. And Rasayana Kata. That's Mamavira Sambhido. Krishna speaking says, In Sangha, Satsanga, association of truthful people who want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Hmm? Such people. Hmm? In their company, what happens is they are always 
speaking about my virtues, Krishna says. And Babanti Hritkarna, Rasayana Kata. That talk is like a Rasayana, a rejuvenating elixir. Hmm? And it will go in your ear if you go there. Hmm? And steal away into your heart something from it. Steal away into your heart. And it will cause it will cause uh, Shraddha. It will cause the awakening of faith. And faith is not in a belief, but a sense that that what I felt was possible in life in a vague, general way, it's been articulated here in a way that I could not have done it myself, but I feel comfortable with that. I feel like they're speaking about, yeah, I feel I, I, they're speaking about me. That's what I'm like. I, I, so in a general, and they're articulating it better than I could. I want that company, so I'm propelled to stay in that company. And step anukram, then step by step from that initial faith, I go from shraddha. He, mean, he skips over the other steps. Shraddha, sadhu, sangha, anartha, mibhuti, nishta, ruchi. He says, rati. From shraddha to rati. He means step by step, I go from shraddha to rati. Rati means bhakti and ecstasy. Hmm? And, and love and so forth. That turns into brain. This is how he sings here. Gundadas ki. Okay. Is it time? Hmm? 22. 22. Okay. Sing Jai Brother 